Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to start off with John, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, referring to Jesus, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, anybody who tells you that you don't have to keep the commandments, just believe in Jesus, is a liar. They're a liar. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. Now, there's a lot of commandments. There's at least ten commandments. And if they're not keeping those commandments... Now, everybody will stumble, but they have to know the commandments in their hearts enough to be trying to keep the commandments. When you stumble... Often that is evidence that you have been lying to yourself about what you really believe. But you have to be, as a matter of personal policy, trying, striving, seeking to keep the commandments. Because that's the way to eternal life, because Jesus says so. Now your pastors out there, a lot of the pastors and a lot of the churches are saying, Oh, you just have to believe in Jesus. There's no works involved. Well, there you don't earn salvation. But if you're not keeping the commandments, you can tell me you believe in Jesus, but I'm going to call you a liar because you're not really trying to keep the commandments. And what are those commandments? We're supposed to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. What does that look like? We're supposed to honor our mother and our father. We're not, we're supposed to not take his name in vain. Well, all these guys who say they believe in Jesus and that they're Christians and are not keeping the commandments, they're liars. They're taking his name in vain. If somebody else is supporting your parents, then you're not honoring your mother and your father if you have the means by which to do it. And you don't because, well, then I couldn't get that nice car. Then I couldn't get that TV set. Then I couldn't get that whatever. Then you're not keeping the commandments. You're not taking care of your mother and father. You're asking the fathers of the world to take care of your mother. I was just absolutely amazed. I put up a web page just recently. You can find it at preparingyou.com. Preparingyou.com. And... It's in reference to Paul Harvey's radio broadcast that from the 60s, 1960s, somewhere in there, 66 or some 65, he started doing a piece that he calls If I Were the Devil. So if you search If I Were the Devil on the Preparing You website, you'll find the article. And it gives you an audio of what is probably his 1995 rendition of this if I were the devil and some people propose that it's the 65 rendition and it's not I have the transcripts for both of those 
programs, or at least from his uh, his news articles. That he also he he published in over 400 newspapers, and he so he published this in over 400 newspapers, verbatim from 1960s all the way up till at least 1995, 1996. If I were the devil. And in every one, he says, and they will teach them to pray, Our Father who art in Washington. He says that to millions upon millions upon millions of Americans, year after year after year. And yet, Americans are still praying to their Father who art in Washington. And Jesus said, Call no man on earth Father. And the fact is, we show you in the U.S. Codes, the state takes the position of father when you register the birth of your children, when you apply for benefits, when you apply for public school, when you apply for WIC, when you apply for EBT cards or whatever it is to feed your children. You're making the state, the federal government, your father. And Jesus said, don't. And you say you're a Christian, but you're not even doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, pray to our Father who art in heaven. Not in Washington, not in uh, Toronto, or in Melbourne, or London, or Paris. That's not where you pray. But all those nations full of so-called Christians... They pray to the state for their benefits. They know the state doesn't have anything. All those countries are bankrupt. They're just taking from the people to give you those benefits. They're taking from those people's children and those people's children's children. And you call yourself a Christian? You're a liar. Because you're not keeping the commandments of God. You're coveting your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of men who call themselves benefactors. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. But it is. So if you say you're a Christian, meaning a follower of Christ, you're a liar. And your ministers who say that you are, are liars. I don't know how to say it any clearer. I, of course, now Jesus said all these things. The apostles said all these things. Weren't they clear enough? Evidently not. So what are you going to do? I mean, a lot of you have to take social welfare. You paid into it, but everything you paid into it is gone. You have to ask men who exercise authority to take away from your children, run your children in debt, so that they have to take away from their children to pay for your welfare. Because you're on welfare. If you're on Social Security, you're on welfare. It's a welfare program. It's not a program where you have deposited money in your savings account at the Social Security Administration. It was your Corbin to take care of the needy when you were working. Now, am I telling you to get off Social Security? Now, I don't want to see you starve. I want you to realize that you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You're back in the Corbin of Herod. I want you to repent, turn around, 
and all you children and children of children, I want you to tell all you older people. I talked to a preacher not too long ago, and he said, you know, he's over 72, and now he automatically gets, I guess this is the way it works, he automatically gets his Social Security. He didn't want to use it. He's been working since, you know, he turned 65. He was still working, so he wasn't collecting anything, but now they give it to him no matter what he makes. And his kids are encouraging him, go take a vacation, take a trip, you know, take holidays, spend the money, it's yours. No, it's not. It's your neighbor's. It was taken away from your neighbors legally by contract because you have married the state. You have a familial relationship with the state. The state is your father. He's your sugar daddy. He's broke. But that hasn't stopped him from giving out benefits and making wars and making his instruments of war and taking your sons and daughters and turning them to his service. That doesn't stop him. We knew that. We've known that since Samuel. Whenever we reject God and elect men to rule over us, that is what's going to happen. We know that. Samuel told us that. Thomas Paine told us that in the in his pamphlet, Common Sense. All Americans used to know that. That if you elect men who exercise authority... They're going to do these things. They're going to take and take and take and take and take. Why are you so surprised? I have guys writing me saying, Oh, we're going to elect a new father, a new president, a new prime minister, and they will be benevolent, and they will give us back our rights, and we will have our rights and our benefits too. I don't know where they think they're coming from. They're whining about the fiscal responsibility of government. But what do they do to be the fiscal responsible people of a free society? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're under a strong delusion. They think the Constitution is their salvation. No, Christ is their salvation. But the real Christ, not the one you hear about in these phony churches that have delivered you all back into the bondage of Egypt, that is the only salvation is the way of Christ. But you have to know exactly what that way is. So, I read an article. Somebody sent it to me or the link to it or something. Anyway, I read it. And and he talks about non-participation. Now, as soon as you mention non-participation, a lot of people think, oh, don't pay your taxes. Starve the beast. No, Jesus never said anything like that. Now, did Jesus know what he was talking about or not? I mean, Jesus set thousands of people free. Many of them were persecuted, but thousands of them were free and didn't get persecuted and escaped the bondages of Egypt and Rome and Babylon. And not only that, they thrived during the decline and fall of Rome and created free communities all throughout Europe, when Europe had a greater population than it did in 1776. And most of the people were free. As a matter of fact, you can't even find out who the kings were, ruling all these valleys and communities filled with people thriving during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. 
We don't hear a lot about those people because there were very few wars and conflicts because they lived at peace in their communities. Unfortunately, too much repose and the rise of Satan again in the 900s and 1000s brought back the rise of kings, of men ruling over other men and brought back tyranny. You read about, well, you don't, but I do, read about William the Conqueror, also known as Igilium the Bastard. That's that's another name he was known by, but we don't hear about that in history. <laughs> Most of you don't even hear about William the Conqueror and what he was all up to. But it talks about when he was still in Normandy about putting down rebellion after rebellion. Those rebellions, those were freedom fighters. <laughs> those, those were people who were trying to maintain their freedom. And before William was doing this, there were other men who were coming along, other debullions, who were oppressing people left and right. And the kings were rising, Stephen and all these, being appointed by a pope who used to do a little of this oppressing himself, who had nothing to do with the Christianity of the church. You know, the, everybody knows. I mean, it's even in the, in the courts of the United States, in the rulings of the Supreme Court, that the, the Roman church was started by Constantine, who commanded that everybody get baptized. He didn't say anything about repent and get baptized. Just just get baptized. Become a Christian. And he was doing this so that there was no longer any obligation to provide social welfare as an entitlement. That you had to make it work on your own. Because they were totally bankrupt too. They'd been bankrupt for centuries. I don't think we'll have centuries. We've been bankrupt for decades. And all the countries of the world are all bankrupt all operating in the red, trying to provide their social welfare, but also making their instruments of war. I mean, Holland, it works pretty good in few countries like that, but then again, they're not waging war all over the world. There was social welfare and waging war. Hey, that doesn't work out. You're going to go bankrupt. And then, of course, you're already bankrupt if you have a, a system of diverse weights and measures where the people don't really have any value in their pockets. The wealth is, they're already, all the people are already bankrupt. They live in a debt society. Why? Because of one of those commandments they're not keeping. Which one is it that we're talking about? Which one talks about not being in debt? Which one talks about earning everything you have first and not living in debt? Which one of the Ten Commandments talks about that? You don't know? That's because your ministers are all liars. It's the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath is about debt. About working six days and then taking your rest. You thought it was about some special day. <laughs> you thought it was like, oh, it's, it's this day or it's, it's, a, you know, it's a calendar day. No, it's about debt. It's about working six days and earning your rest. You don't do that. You borrow money before you even gone to work. You call it fractional reserve system. I call it Satanism. Because <laughs> it's the adversary of keeping the Sabbath. It's the opposite of keeping the Sabbath. The, 
of working six days and then taking your rest. You want your rest, and then you owe <laughs> six days of labor. And that's keeping the Sabbath. I don't hardly know a Sabbath keeper. And the few that I do know that are Sabbath keepers, they don't know they're Sabbath keepers. They just know they don't want to be in debt and they want to pay their way. They want to earn their way. But in this society, there's no room for them. They they wouldn't be applying for entitlements from men who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors, because they know. In their hearts they know that Jesus said it's not to be that way with you. They don't even have to read it in the book. You've got the book and you don't even know what it says. You, I, The people I know who have studied the book for years and years and years and you ask them about some of these basic things, instructions of Jesus Christ, and they don't even know. They certainly don't apply them in their lives. But what can you do about it? Well, I can't do anything about them. Because I'm not a tyrant. I have an opinion of what I think is right. You have an opinion of what you think is right. But God's opinion is the opinion we're supposed to be seeking. Are you seeking God's opinion? Or are you just trying to decide for yourself what is good and evil? Am I seeking to know God's opinion? Or am I deciding what is right, what is good and evil for myself? You don't know. I can't even guarantee you, but I'm going to say what I believe. And I say it as if I speak with authority, as if I know what I'm talking about. But do I? What you hear is somebody who has some confidence in what he's saying. And you say, like, why does he think he knows what he's talking about? Well, it just it's all it is is in contrast to the fact that you don't really believe what you think. <laughs> What you think is the result of opinions. Everything you believe is the result of opinions. Somebody's opinion. I mean, the people who wrote down the Bible. They had an opinion as to what word they should use it. Was it in correct relationship with God's opinion? Well, maybe the guys who actually wrote it, but the guys who translated it, I can guarantee you that they weren't following what God said. They even tell you that under the conditions that they translated, they did the best they could. What were the conditions? Well, the guy who was paying them was the office of the guy who had burnt other men at the stake for doing the same thing. <laughs> and they weren't going to translate Romans 13, let every man remain subject to the higher liberty, because all liberty is of God, and there is no liberty but of God, and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. They weren't going to translate it that way, even though that word is translated liberty in the same Bible by them, and is the strongest word in the English language for liberty, they're not going to tell you that it means that. They might have their tongue cut out and burned at the stake too, like guys like Tyndale. They didn't want that. Under the conditions that they translated, this is the best they could come up with. But you don't need their translations to know the truth. You should know the truth because it's written in your heart and in your mind by God. Because you're willing to set down your personal opinion of what is right and wrong. And willing to listen to God. He's speaking to you right now. God is trying to tell you right now what is true. I'm seeking to be able to speak to you to tell you what is true. And you know what is true? You need to repent.
you need to turn around. You need to start actually moving in the right direction. Because repenting and turning around and standing right where you are, that's not enough. You actually have to start heading home. So anyway, in this article that he wrote, he says, When writing investigative examinations on the corrupt state of America government and American economy, invariably one is met with the same set of ever-cycling broken record questions and assertions. One of the primary responses I have received, and I'm sure most liberty movement analysts have received, is this. Okay, now we know what the problem is, but when are you going to tell us what the solution is? Most people don't know what the problem is. Because you know what the problem is? The problem is you. (laughs) That's right. The problem is you. You haven't repented. You haven't turned around. You haven't started going in the other direction. You don't even know what it means to repent in most cases. Some of you out there who may be regular listeners, you may be starting to put these things together. But anyway... I'm going to read him because of the fact that he makes some very good points. The question seems reasonable, he says. But in reality, everything that is weak-minded in our culture today is summed up in its content. And rightly so. But what's he talking about? First, the question insinuates that there is no utility in exploring the nature of the crisis without fixing the situation right then and there. I guess that's too much going to McDonald's and Burger King. You expect to drive up to the drive-up window of liberty and order, I would like, a large order of liberty and a side order of benefits. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) You don't get that. Anyway, he goes on to say, Often the most uh, complex problems of our world require years, if not decades, of thought and action, trial and error, before a single working solution is generated. But the reality is there is a solution that can begin with the smallest step, the baby steps, in the right direction. But you have to turn around and look the other way first. And we're going to do that by looking at ourselves when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're talking about working solutions. Before a single working solution is generated, this individual who wrote this article thinks that uh, may take years and years of study. Well, of course, we've done years and years of studying here at His Holy Church, and we've put it all down in books or, or articles and videos and audios, hundreds of audios, and we put them up. For you to do your study, to do your examination, we give you our opinions of the truth. We also reprint the uh, opinions of Christ as they are manifested in the Gospels, and you can read those, and we share it with you in English as well as the opinions of men as to what these words mean. 
And we give you opinions of the context of history in which these things were said and taken place. There's a lot to understand. But as the beginning of the show, I was showing how how little people understand what Christ was really talking about. And they actually think they're Christians and they are not even trying to keep the commandments. They don't even know how the commandments apply. They don't understand that if you create systems of social security for the elderly, including your parents, and then you say, well, my folks got a social security check, so I don't need to help them out. My folks can be on Medicaid, so I don't need to help them out. They can get it from the father of the state that you're violating the commandments. You're not honoring your father and your mother. You're saying exactly what Jesus spoke about when you say that, you know, I contribute to my folks because I pay into the Corbin and they can get it from the temple. And that what he said, and, and Jesus was saying, that makes the word of God to none effect. And most people don't know that that system of Corbin was set up by Herod and the Pharisees who went out and baptized people, registered them with the temple, compelled them by statutes to pay into the treasury of the temple, which they sometimes call Corbin itself, to provide for the social welfare of the aged and the infirm by offerings that were compelled by statute to make sure that everybody paid their fair share. But that was making the Word of God to none effect because the Word of God was to support the needy of your society by free will offerings. And if you don't do that, you're not a free society. And this is what the Bible's been about from the beginning to the end. That you either plow your neighbor and force him to get in a line and give according to what you think is good, or you allow your neighbor the freedom of choice. If you don't allow the, your neighbor the freedom of choice, you should not be free. And so, if you say, I paid in, so therefore they should force my neighbor to pay for my welfare, or my parents' welfare, then you should not be free. You can go elect anybody you want. You will not be free. You will remain in bondage forever and ever and ever and ever or until you die, which will come sooner because they're going to work you to death. <laughs> and they don't love you. They love what they can get out of it. To you, to them, you are just merchandise, surety for debt, human fodder. And why? Because you covet your neighbor's goods. Another commandment you break daily by a policy. And you're told that you can do this by your church. Believe it or not, your church actually says this is okay. They have laid a stumbling block in front of you. They have laid a stumbling block. They are committing the error of the Nicolaitans and the error of Balaam. That it's okay to eat things sacrificed to these other authorities. You know, idols. You know, all the idols. They were just statues or, or, or plaques or symbols of the authority. 
of an institution made by the hand of man. That's what idols are. It's not some superstitious little statue. The golden calf wasn't. It was the central bank. Just like the golden statue in Athens was the reserve fund. We've gone over all this. Although there are always new listeners who haven't heard it and don't understand that these are systems. These symbols they hold up represents the authority of those systems. And you bow down and serve them because you made covenants with them, agreements with them. You applied and signed under penalty of perjury to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor instead of loving, loving your neighbor as yourself. You chose to make a slave of your neighbor a surety of your neighbor to guarantee and you struck hands with men who exercise authority to guarantee that you would be secure. That's not love. That's love of self. It's not loving your neighbor equally. If you love your neighbor equally, you'd be taking care of your neighbor. You'd be sacrificing daily to help him out. And you would get to choose which neighbor to help out. You know, the one who was always slothful and lazy and beat his wife and was drunk and and squandered his money on satellite dishes and fancy cars. You're not going to help him out as much. And other people are going to see this. And they're going to say, hey, I I better straighten up my act. (laughs) Or maybe they won't. And you can still help them out. They can get bread and water. Just recently, one of my family was visiting over somewhere else, and there was a, a guy there who has a girlfriend who's, I guess she's already had a child. So she's probably on government assistance. That's what they were believing. And, you know, getting WIC and a check and all these things, because she's an unwed mother who's got this child, and she can't work. She has to take care of the child, and has to feed the child, and so the government will help her do all that stuff. Of course, she's living with this other guy who plays video games all day, but he can't work. He's just in his 20s. He can't work. He's on a disability because, you know, he can't concentrate. You know, and he he gets depressed if he has to work. I wonder what would happen if he had to starve. (laughs) But he doesn't have to starve because his daddy's going to take care of him. His daddy's going to send him a check every month because, you know, I really can't work because I, I get so depressed, you know. He, he's, you know, he's uh, probably got, he's bipolar or all these other wonderful names that allow you to get a check at everybody else's expense while you play video games. I mean, they were pointing out, they were shocked later on when they found out how this guy makes his living off the back of his neighbor by feigning that he can't work. I can guarantee you, I could get him working. We take him far enough out in the desert, and you say, you don't work, you don't eat. You know, just little Thessalonians. You'd be surprised how his depression would start clearing up. (laughs) His skin might clear up, too. But, I mean, he's playing the Wii, you know, and he's he's jumping around and, and waving his hands, and he's doing all this stuff, but he can't work. He don't want to work. And he's a good whiner. He's a good, you know, he's the guy who gets the benefit. If you're actually an independent spirit who actually wants to do the right thing, and you go in to get the benefit, you will be treated badly. (laughs) 
That's a good sign. If you go in to get the welfare benefit, you actually need help. I knew a guy, one leg, had it amputated when he was uh, still a teenager in a mining accident. And he got down on his luck finally, and he was having a hard time getting a job. And he got up enough money to get gas to drive all the way into town, which is, you know, over a 100-mile round trip and apply for a check to help him get through the winter until he could get more work. And on the way, there was a traffic accident on the side of the road. There was a guy there laying who was in extreme pain, had been thrown from the car and couldn't move, and they thought he was dead at first. And then he stayed with the guy until they got an ambulance and got him loaded up. He didn't just drive by and, and gawk out the window, but he actually stopped to help. And so... He was like 10 minutes late for his appointment with the government office. So they weren't going to hear anything he had to say that day. They weren't doing anything else. There wasn't anybody else there. He was just late. So you're late. You have to come back another day, you know, which is another more than 100-mile round trip. And he says, well, there was an accident on the side of the road. I had to stop and help the guy. I don't care about that. You're late for your appointment. You have to make another appointment and come back on another day. Well, I can't repeat what he said. <laughs> <laughs> but he never did get any welfare. <laughs> he just struggled through the rest of the winter and, and got got some work here and there watching calves and, you know, and calving for somebody and paid enough to get through the winter. And then he got other jobs. He used to work. He worked with me one time doing fencing job. And when at the end of the day, he was just absolutely exhausted climbing up and down these hills. And he took off his stump. It was full of blood. But he was back working the next day. And he wasn't playing on the Wii. Because <laughs> he had what made America great. But your government is cultivating what is going to destroy America. And I don't care if it's, you're in America. You could be in Australia. Same thing's going on there. Same thing's going on in England. Been going on there a long time. France. Oh, it really goes on there. It's just amazing. Because you're not Christians. Oh, you got ministers that will tickle your ears and tell you that you are, and they'll even tell you that you're saved. But, the, you know, they're those liars too. But anyway, let's go on with this article. I can see at the rate we're getting through it, we'll, we'll be working on this for at least five shows. <laughs> we're on the air at least 13 hours a week. And if you want to see us on more stations, you got to have to do it. And that's part of the deal, is that that's part of the solution. You have to start doing things for somebody else other than yourself. You know, because Christ came to save others. He didn't come to save himself. So if you're listening so that you can find some clue as to how to save yourself, I'll give you the clue. Start working to save others. And the way to get others saved is to teach them the solution of Christ because Christ is the only solution. But the real Christ, not the Christ you're going to hear down in that church on the corner. I know there's one preacher who lives in a $10 million complex that makes millions and millions of dollars a year, publishes lots of books, and people just gobble them up. People tell me, oh, I could listen to him for hours. And he just tells everybody how Jesus just loves you and how you're doing great and you know, he doesn't tell you that your country's going down the toilet and your nation and your world 
is on the verge of one of the greatest disasters in the history of mankind. And you're all just thinking you're saved. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I put up another article this week, a little uh, blurb, I can't remember the name of it, but what's oh, in relationship to this this article? And it has a link to this article. And I ought to remember what its name is. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in the next show. And then you can go look up the link. And then you can look at the article and see how we're reading right along with it. But anyway, it says, When the problem involves a criminal government run by corporatists, oligarchs, bent on total globalization and centralized control of finance, society, and law, you have to expect that there will be some difficulties in finding a remedy. You will never defeat your enemy without knowing your enemy. And our particular fight requires endless analysis. Well, actually, that's not quite true. It is true that there is a certain amount of corruption. There always is in governments of power. There was with Saul. There was with David. There certainly was with Solomon. And absolutely there was with Rehoboam. And there always will be. But the corruption didn't start with the government. The corruption that you need to be concerned about, the corruption that you can do something about, is your corruption. That's right, because you were corrupted when you first began to think that you could elect somebody who could exercise authority one over the other and things would get better. Because when you thought that thought, you were rejecting God just as they did in the days of Samuel. And so when you think that if we elect a different president, prime minister, or potentate, that life will get better, you are fooling yourself. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Why? Because you're rejecting God, you corrupt individual. That's the corruption you can do something about. Get that idea out of your head. And things might start getting better. You can do something about your corruption. You can start doing something about that right today. That doesn't take years of analysis. It just takes some personal introspection. Why did I ever think that a man exercising authority and giving that man more and more authority was going to make life better? It was going to tempt him to become corrupt. You were going to destroy that poor man. Poor, poor Saul. All those people giving them power and more power and more power. And the only one telling them, Samuel, telling them that you're being foolish, Saul. And everybody else said, yeah, Saul, you make it right. Fix it for us. Because we want to sit back and you tell us what the solution is. We'll do that. You're already corrupt. The solution is in you right now. Change. Get God on your side by getting on the side of God. You and me, Lord. I just thought of a good funny story, but I'm not going to tell it to you. I'm going to keep beating you up. (laughs) You need it. You need to get smacked around a bit. You can start making changes right now in the most corrupt form and part of government closest to you. Right now, you can do something about that right now. 
That's you. You are the corrupt one. You are lazy, slothful, avarice. Now, you've got some good points, too. I know all of you out there, I mean, some of you love your children, you love your husband and wife, and you're trying to do right by them. I understand that. But you let corruption come in and think that somehow or other electing somebody who's more powerful to set everybody else straight was a good idea. Somebody else, you're giving them the power to decide good and evil, and you're not even supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be waiting upon the Lord and listening to what He has to say in your heart and in your life today. Stop trying to rule over others. It doesn't require endless analysis, but it is an endless journey seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the, that's the mission. Are you seeking the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, the way of God and everything that you do? He goes on, second, I wish I could convey the palm to forehead agony I feel every time I hear someone begging for myself or anyone, for that matter, to overnight mail them a solution on a silver platter wrapped in perfect little pink bow. Why is it that so many Americans today refuse to offer their own solution to the problem they perceive in the world? Is it laziness or stupidity or both? They are so busy waiting for a white knight, a Saul, a Solomon, I'm adding those, to come and save them They have forgotten to learn how to save themselves. They have forgotten how to save themselves. You can't save yourself. You can be saved by stop deciding for yourself what is good and evil and start trying to find out what God wants for you. Now, what is that? Now, are you going to study the Bible and figure it out? Well, you can certainly study the Bible. But He wants to write on your heart and on your mind. And it takes sandbox perception to see what is right and what is wrong. It is simply wrong to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It is simply wrong not to allow your neighbor the freedom of choice to help you or not help you. It is wrong to give somebody power over others or even over your own right to choose. To give up that gift God gave you your right to choose. That's wrong. But you do it You do it because you're lazy and stupid. (laughs) Or both. (laughs) Lazy or stupid and both, as he says. But you don't have to stay lazy. You can do something about that. Like that fellow on welfare playing we, getting a government check because he says, you know, I I get depressed if I have to work. You wouldn't if you, if you, you had a choice between being depressed or starving. I'll give you one story. The story of a lady who had the dog that was just so lazy, it just laid around and didn't do anything. So she took it to the vet and she asked, there's something wrong. He just lays there. He never wants to play. He never wants to get up. He seems so lifeless, you know, and, and everything. He said, just leave him with me for three days. And so she did and she came back three days later. And the dog was just wagging his tail so happy to see her. And he was jumping all around and just leaping up on her lap. And she says, Oh, what wonderful miracle cure did you give my dog? 
to make him so full of life and excitement. And he says, well, it's easy, lady. I just didn't feed him for three days. <laughs> it's amazing how people will overcome a lot of their problems if you just don't feed It's called fasting. It's a religious experience. Give up their fasting from living off of the backs of everybody else. And these people think that they, they are just parasites. They're social parasites. And you shouldn't feel sorry for them. Feel sorry for yourself because you let them do these things. It's just a good thing I wasn't over there at that house. Because <laughs> I would have spoke up. And everybody would have been embarrassed. Uh, some of the people I know that would have been there, they'd have chuckled. But anyway, he goes on to say, Think of something we haven't thought of yet. <laughs> Which I've been telling you, you're the problem. Stop being followers and start becoming leaders within your own community. Leading by taking back your personal responsibility. He goes on to say, Third, the worst of all the dilemmas when dealing with the above question is that most of the time it is being asked by people who already have a preconceived answer. They want to hear. That's right. They have an answer they want to hear. Elect this guy. Elect that guy. I mean, it's even written in the very question that people are asking. Okay, now, we know the problem, which most of the time they don't. But when are you, and he has this all in capital letters, you, Y-O-U, going to tell us, U-S, what the solution is? Well, when are you going to do that? <laughs> when are you going to figure it out that you have to repent? You're the solution because you're the problem. Many in our movement today want a silver bullet solution. Absolutely. They want it, but that's not the way it works. They want magic and fairy dust. They want to end tyranny with a snap of their fingers, the press of a button or the pull of a voting switch, my words, within the span of a day or perhaps a week. They don't want to have to work beyond their normal capacity. They don't want to struggle. They don't want to sacrifice. They certainly don't want to risk their property, livelihood, or life. But they're going to have to. And we'll tell you more about how to do that when we come back. And I'll tell you where I'm reading this article so that you will be able to read right along with us when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in the second in a series that we're doing on participation. And we started this series by reading an article on non-participation and the decentralization as primers for revolution. Sounds like a exciting article. It actually appears on Alt Market, and you can find a link to it at preparingyou.com, and you simply look up non-participation. And you'll find the article. Just use the search engine. You'll find the article there at Preparing You. And if you're already on the network, we'll send you a link pretty soon. And eventually we'll have audios that explain all of what this fellow is talking about. His name is Brandon Smith. And he wrote this back in February 12th of 2014. So it's fairly recent to this program. And you can... Go see it there. It has a picture of sheep and a lot of white-faced sheep, recently shorn, and a black-faced sheep sitting right in the middle of it. And evidently, he's a non-participator. But if you go to our website, you'll see, uh, you can click on that picture or the link there at the beginning of our article so you can see this. And we make a response in relationship to that. And that may change a little bit over the time. One of the points that I make in in this reference is the problem is not Big Brother. The problem is your sugar daddy. It's who your daddy is. It's not Big Brother. And you can do something about that because the problem is you. You've made this state your father and you've done this in France and England and Canada and Venezuela and Australia. It's a common problem that man has been doing throughout the ages and it brings about a certain nature of society that is not good for you. It's going to bring about men who exercise authority, who take and take and take and take. And, and there's an interesting picture that is hung on my wall for decades now. That's You'll see in that same article, and I'll just keep you in suspense. So you have to go to the article to find out what it is. But uh, it's a picture that's always hung on my wall Still there up on the, the cupboard, even though the office has changed over a period of time. We we bring the picture to <laughs> put it up there because it's where we're at. The only problem is is only one creature in the picture that represents me. And I would like to see a few others alongside <laughs> once in a while. Kind of like a story of Jimmy Stewart, when he was a fighter pilot, actually was a fighter pilot in World War II, and he was flying one of these big bombers, and he was going along, and and they have machine gunners, you know, in turrets in the back, and they were being strafed by German fighter pilots who were shooting at them, and, and he was not hearing the guns in the back of the plane going off and firing back at at the enemy, and... The story goes that uh, Jimmy Stewart got on his little radio com to talk to the guys in the back of the ship, and he said, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more noise back there, because he wasn't hearing them shooting. 
and they had some problem with the gun jamming and they eventually got it done and they got back because we saw lots of movies by Jimmy Stewart playing heroes when he after he got back and the war was over. But he actually was a real honest-to-goodness bomber pilot in World War II. <laughs> you could just hear Jimmy Stewart stuttering, come back, that he'd like to hear a little bit more noise back there. And that's kind of what I'd like to hear, is a little bit more noise out there of other people repenting and turning around and trying to go the other way. And if you go to the preparingyou.com and, and look up the article non-participation, you will get to see that if you pan down and you'll know what picture I'm talking about. But anyway, we're talking about this article and we were going through it a uh, little bit by little bit and see if we can make some sense out of the kingdom of God by looking at the opinions of men about the kingdoms of the world. And that's the only reason we're interested in the kingdoms of the world is because they point to a relationship we have with one another because most of the relationship you have with your neighbor is through government. It's not through loving one another and actually being there that you are... Most of what you do that affects your neighbor is because you've elected government. Because the government is into every aspect of everybody's life, including your own, which is the result of choices you have made. Although not always. I mean, sometimes it was choices your parents have made. But you don't get to choose your parents. And if your parents have sold you into an indentured servitude, they've sold you into an indentured servitude. And there's nothing you can do about that. Now, there is something you can do about being in indentured servitude and being a surety for debt and being a human resource is stop making other people a human resource for you. That's right. Forgive them the debts that you are paying when you give sacrifices to the gods which you have chosen for yourself, which is something that Samuel talks about when they were electing men to rule over them, like Saul. You're told that the men that you have chosen for yourselves, the gods which you have chosen for yourselves, you're going to cry out. And God's not going to hear you. But He will hear you if you start hearing the cries of others and start repenting of that way and start taking back your responsibilities, not just to save yourself, but to do it like Christ in the ways of Christ, to do it to save others. You see, that's why Jimmy Stewart would say, you know, I, 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 I'd like to hear a little bit more noise back there, is he's not trying to boss anybody around. He's not trying to rule over anybody. He'd like to be saved, but he wants everybody on board to be saved. Why do you think he ended up being the captain? Because <laughs> he had that attitude. Now, the, the, you know who people elect to be captains, <laughs> rulers over them? They don't have as good a choice. But who they choose is a direct result of who they are. And you as a people get the leaders you deserve. But you you get rulers because you want rulers because you want to rule over your neighbor. You want him to give you an answer, just like this question at the beginning of this series in session one. The question was, 
When are you going to tell us what the solution is? When are you going to do something about it for yourself? And this is what my message is to you. Because we don't really call this series non-participation. We call this series participation because we know what the solution is. And you have to start participating in the solution. You have to start making a little noise out there yourself. And you're not doing that. You have to start gathering together with others and making a little noise. You know, start strafing the lie. Start pointing the lie out. Start exposing the lie to the light of truth. And start taking care of one another with faith, hope, and charity and love for one another. You may still have to be receiving the benefits of the Father in Washington, D.C., but you have to start seeking the solution. And that's what you have to do. So anyway, to read on in his article of non-participation, he says, they want civil rights, style milk, Gandhi, march on Washington, D.C. Now when I say milk there, I guess that's Martin Luther King, MLK, Gandhi, slash Gandhi, march on Washington, D.C., which has already been done over and over again, leading to nothing. But, Ever more corruption. You don't ask tyrants to police themselves, nor do you ask for their permission to change government. They want an armed march on Washington, D.C., perhaps the most uh, tactically moronic strategy ever to be suggested year after year. And I hear people actually suggesting that kind of nonsense. That you're going to violently overthrow the government. Nothing could be farther from wisdom. That's not what Christ said. Christ was a revolutionary. And he didn't talk about overthrowing Caesar. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And suffer the pain of the fact that you owe Caesar so much. You, you deserve the whip of the lash. And the whip of scorpion. Remember, that's what Rehoboam said. When the people asked for it, there must have been a march on Jerusalem. (laughs) They had a march on Jerusalem that said, Give us back our freedom! And he said, I'll think about it. You guys all go home and I'll think about it. And then he came back and he says, Well, you know, my father whipped you with whips, you know, put heavy burdens on you, that kind of thing. You know, compelled you to pay in. Of course, all that was predicted by Samuel. Said this is what was going to happen. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. And everybody's so surprised that he takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. I think there's about seven or eight takes in that that section quoted by Thomas Paine in Common Sense, which you don't read in school anymore because you go to public school. You don't even know why there was an American Revolution. You don't even know what the American Revolution was really all about. You think it was about taxation without representation. Where was that ever written? It's not in the Declaration of Independence. I don't know how many people say, oh, well, that's in the Declaration of Independence. No, it's not. That's not what they say. <laughs> Where'd you get that? Did you ever read the darn thing? You don't even know why they were able to write that. They were able to write that because they had spent the last 200 years taking back their responsibilities. You spent the last 200 years giving up your responsibilities. You don't have any right to write a Declaration of Independence. You're not free men. 
You're back in the bondage of Egypt. You haven't been responsible for decades. You're not going to get freedom that quick and that easy. So anyway, they had a march on Jerusalem and said to Rehoboam they wanted their freedom back. And he came back finally several days later saying, Hey, my father whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm going to raise taxes. (laughs) I'm going to oppress you even more. And a large group of them said, What is David to us? And they left the kingdom. They became the lost sheep. And they fought amongst each other. You know, kind of like a patriot meeting. (laughs) Fighting amongst each other. The simplest solution, you have to change. You have to repent. You have to turn around. And Christ came and told you this. And it's the same speech that, that Moses was giving to the people when he found them in bondage in Egypt. Yeah, he wanted to let my people go, but he wanted them to do the free will sacrifices to take care of their society by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty because you loved your neighbor as yourself. And you didn't oppress the the even the stranger in your midst, much less your neighbor, like you guys do in your socialist state, getting your free public school education at the expense of your neighbor. I just can't tone down to give you milk. You guys are bloated with milk. And I'm not going to slice it so thin you think it's cheese either. This is what you have to do. Anyway, so he goes on to say in his article, they want an armed march on Washington, D.C., perhaps the most tactical, moronic strategy ever to be suggested year after year leading to nothing more than a bloodbath which would only make the liberty movement appear weak and or insane, all in a failed attempt to unseat a bunch of politicians who were merely puppets of middlemen for financial elite. They want general generals grandstanding as purveyors of constitutionalism to initiate a military coup to remove the evil Muslims from the seat of power. And he goes on to talk about Obama, but I won't say anything bad about the guy because I think he's a victim of the sloth of the people. Or atheist, communists, or he goes on. This is all in parentheses. And so I won't even read all that. But anyway, uh, you have to go to the article and read it. And again, I'll repeat where the article is so that you can... uh, Go find it, but it's at the Alt Market Society, alt-market.com, and just look up Brandon Smith, non-participation, and you can probably find the article, and you'll find a link to it at preparingyou.com. But anyway, I'll skip down because I don't want to say anything bad about leaders because it's not their fault. It's your fault. That's my message to you. That's my opinion. So you can take it for what it's worth. But, I mean, it's good news to know it's your fault because you can do something about you. You can't do anything about them. Oh, you can shake your hand and you can complain and you can boast and you can, uh, you know, be a braggart about, you know, what you would tell them if you were invited to the White House. I always remember it in a local bar nearby, uh, not nearby, but, you know, 30 some miles away or almost 40 miles away only bar near here really 
somebody was complaining about a president. I don't know which one it was at that time. It was way back. It may have been before Reagan. And is when they still had a phone booth out in front of the bar when before everybody had cell phones. And the guy was just ranting and raving in there while he was drinking too much about how, you know, the president was this and the president was this and that. And, and finally he goes out about 1 o'clock and he gets on the phone and he tries to call Washington, D.C. on the payphone, shoving quarters in. And he says he wanted to give the president a piece of his mind. He couldn't remember what he had said or anything, but it was like a day later <laughs> the Secret Service showed up <laughs> at this little bar. I mean, this this is an old bar. I mean, it's a wooden floor bar that was made a hundred years ago. Well, the bar itself came around the horn uh, on sailing ships and was carried by wagons over the mountains to build this bar, which has been in, in that little town for a century. And the building, you know, they just keep patching onto it. It's all board bat building, but it's still there. And so anyway, it had this little phone booth out. I don't think it has one there anymore. But And he went out there and he called to complain about the president, like that's going to do some good. Well, it got Secret Service to come to see our small town. <laughs> Looking for this guy, and of course everybody probably knew who it was. I don't. I don't actually remember who it was, but bad idea, and completely fruitless, a waste of time, a waste of quarters. So, but you could do something about yourself, because you're right there. You're no matter where you go, there you are, and that's where the st- steps have to start, is with you, and then you have to walk with others in a free assembly that actually begins to do what Christ said, what Moses said, what Abraham said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop praying to the men of the earth to exercise authority to guarantee your security. Because if you do, you will have none. But anyway, he says, and most of all, they want something flashy, something new, something technological and glorious to solve all their woes. How many times have you heard the claim, for instance, that digital currency like Bitcoin would bring down the central banks and turn the globalist empire to dust at our feet? Yet Bitcoin's very existence relies on the web, a government-dominated network system which they can remove from our hands anytime they wish. Now, the the solution has to be way more grassroots, way more fundamental. And I'm just reading what this fellow's opinions are and then adding my own opinions. And I hope you can tell when I'm reading and not. And like I said, I've showed you where his article is so you can go and follow along. These are not solutions. They are distractions or worse, con games. They are designed to fool you into thinking that you can lounge behind your computer and walk blindly down the street with a sign or a gun and the nation will attain renaissance without a tear or a drop of blood shed. They are pleasant lies that many people want to have whispered to them. Well, to tell you the truth, you ought to just go to church. (laughs) 
and listen to the lies they have to tell you there because you'll less likely get shot right off. I mean, you're still going to face the problem. You can stick your head in the sand as much as you want. And there's plenty of churches out there that have a sandbox up there to stick your head in. But you would be less likely to get shot right off. I mean, if I was to be a man of fear, I, I fear the patriot movement every time they talk about violent insurrection or somebody overthrowing. I mean, what are you replacing it with? These blackguards in the bar who go out and feed quarters into the phone to call and complain like it's going to make a difference? No, 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 no. Don't go that way. Don't even think that way. Go into the bathroom in the bar and look in the mirror. (laughs) That's where the problem is. And that you can do something about. He goes on to say, I have no interest in making people feel comfortable. Hey, my kind of guy. Or safe. Or at ease in the nature of the task before us. I'm only interested in the truth. The truth is real, all capitals. He goes, real solution have already been offered to the liberty movement. For years, we've been talking about them, implementing them, and attempting to convince others to implement them. These solutions are not easy. They are not pleasant or quick. They will require much sacrifice and unimaginable suffering. There is no way around these tasks. If we are to succeed and dismantle centralized totalitarianism in our lifetime. Well, actually, we can't really dismantle it. That sounds like kind of a violent term. You know, you don't have the right to take their government away from them. You know, the government of the people that they have created to rule over themselves. You don't have the right to tell Judea that they don't have a right to a king. They can certainly elect a king in Judea. They have every right to do that. Samuel warned them, but they they could do that. They were told, you know, you need to if you ever decide to have a king, a ruler, somebody who can exercise authority instead of operating an entire government by free will offerings and a network based on loving one another, if you ever want to do something other than that, and have a ruler, put these five things in your constitution. And in the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, we show you what those five things are, and you can read about them in Deuteronomy, and you don't have those in your constitution. I don't know a single country that has all five in their constitution. Not a single country. And there they are, all five, right there, in the Bible, telling you what to write down, and have read to your leader every day. It tells you. You don't even know what they are. Because you've been going to church to get your ears tickled. You don't go to church to have the truth that he wants to hear. He hasn't even probably heard this. But something's talking to this guy in his heart that's telling him, hey, you know, this is the problem. And it's us. Because we want other men to find the solution for us while we sit behind our computer screens or sit on our couch or sit on our derriere. And have somebody else solve the problem. It's not going to work that way. I want to hear a little bit more noise out there. Let's hear from you. 
Join the Living Network. Join with us and other people. Form congregations of record. Start taking care of one another in whatever extent you can do. Baby steps. I I'm, I understand. You, I don't want you to get out of the system and stop paying taxes. I'm not telling you to do that. And that's not what he's talking about. Because his next line is this line of non-participation. And I don't know how many people that when they hear non-participation, they think, starve the beast. No. No. That's not what he's talking about. And let's hear what he's talking about. We're not going to get to it all in this half. And we won't probably get it all in the next half. But we'll get to it eventually. He goes on to say, This is simple concept that for some reason tends to confound the people. If you march to the steps of the White House, motivated by, and it doesn't have to be the White House, it could be, you know, the palace or, you know, I don't know, what, is it, what do they call it in Australia? They're, they have some outback name for their government building. So we're just using this symbolically. I don't want to pick on the poor White House. If you march uh, uh, to the step of the White House, I'm just reading his words here, motivated by a desire to educate others on the hidden dangers of our political situation, then this is all well and good. He doesn't have any objection to that. You know, and there's a lot of things. You know, people marching against GMOs. Good for you. I hope you meet lots of people that want to know the truth about other aspects of society as well. If you you want to march on Washington for social reform, go right ahead and do that. Maybe you'll meet other people. But you've got to know where the real destination is, where you really want to go. He says, but if you march on the steps of the White House with the expectations that this gesture will somehow impress or frighten the military-industrial complex into forsaking its criminal ways and step down from power, then you have fallen into a delusional paradigm. So anyway, those are his words, but we're going to talk more about the solutions when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So everybody now is rushing to their computers to get online to find the livingnetwork.org, right? So that you can join with other people and start walking in the actual paths that Christ taught us, right? You're all going to try to form congregations of record that are connected to a network with all other congregations of record so that you can actually start becoming the social welfare system of your society like the early Christians did at Pentecost, right? You're going to start living by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty and stop using all the benefits, as many as you can afford, to wean yourself off of right now by getting on the net and connecting with the Living Network. And once you connect, you can go down to your local public libraries and go over to your neighbor's house and get on their computer and connect with the Living Network Find a contact minister of your choice. Call him up and see if you can't form a congregation of record 
that is formed by the elders of individual families who are actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness to begin to provide the general welfare and personal welfare through faith, hope, and charity alone. And that word charity is also translated love because you actually love your neighbor as yourself and you want to gather together not to be saved but to save others because Christ is in you. And you want to keep the commandments of Christ. You don't want to covet your neighbor's goods anymore. You don't want to not keep the Sabbath anymore. You know now that the Sabbath is not just a day, but a way. It's a way where you earn the benefits that you have coming to you, but you still don't put anybody under your authority, forcing them to contribute to you. You let them decide in liberty. You let them have the higher right to choose to help you or not. And you pick ministers who are truly titular leaders and servants of your society because you no longer want to be participants in the covetous societies that exercise authority one over the other and are not following the ways of Christ and are following the ways of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. You don't want to be a part of that. You want to participate in the ways of God. So in the, the last half hour I talked about, and I was, at least I read his reference to this uh, military-industrial complex forsaking its criminal ways. There is corruption. There's no two ways about it. I know people who work in the military-industrial complex. And there's a lot of padding of bills and everything. But they're not all wicked, evil people. There are people actually good engineers and people actually trying to earn their way and they're providing for defense of the country and they have all that. But that term, military-industrial complex, I think that was first coined by Eisenhower. I remember when he said that on the old black and white TVs we used to have in the old days. And he mentions this military-industrial complex. And he warns about the fact that it has too much power. And we know power corrupts. And so we know there's going to be criminal activity in that. And it's going to be really hard to root out. And you can work on trying to expose that. As well as the corruption in your local courts. Because there's corruption there. My father was an attorney. He quit the law three times because of the fact that there was so much corruption in the court. So much good old boy back room dealing that ended up robbing people. And I've seen it myself where the lawyers are robbing clients left and right and the judges are in on it. They actually go out and survey the property that they're going to get with the judge on the weekends <laughs> in broad daylight. They're so bold. It wouldn't be hard to catch them and expose them. And you could certainly do that. But you have to get together and start being a network based on love. You could expose these guys and you could do it in your spare time. What a wonderful church project to catch some of these guys robbing your neighbors on a local community basis. I know guys over in Eagle Point in Oregon who did that. Actually exposed corruption. And where are the young guys coming along that's going to try to do that? But our goal is 
is, you know, anytime there's a crime, we want to expose it, whether it's somebody getting mugged in the streets or somebody getting mugged in the courts. We would like to be there to help with that. We'd also like to be administering first aid. But the real key that you want to create and establish and cut so that you can unlock the key, the, the, the chains of your bondage is that you have to start walking in the ways of Christ. Start being a real church that gathers together, that gathers together for the purposes of being health, education, and welfare for your society. Start taking care of one another in your society. And, and there's a huge need. We have hundreds of people in the network. They should be tithing to their ministers every week. And those ministers that they don't have anything to spend it on, we should get together and find projects that help out the deserving poor of society because people are falling through the cracks. Like I told you at the beginning of this series, I, I was telling you about a guy, who, a hard-working guy, no saint by any means. <laughs> he certainly had his problems. But a hard-working guy goes down, really needs help, just wants enough help to get him through the winter so he doesn't starve to death. You know, he's legitimately crippled. And he is just abused by the bureaucracy. While somebody else who is a lazy, good-for-nothing bum goes in there and is just showered with free checks and food and everything. Because the nature of the system caters to its own nature. And here comes a guy who is actually more in line with the king. He had kingdom tracks in his life. Lots of problems, but, you know, he was a working man. He was independent. He was self-reliant. And they don't like that. They smell that coming in the door. They don't like that kind of guy. He's not going to be treated well. The more you have that spirit, they're going to notice you. You don't even know you have it. But they will notice it. And they won't give you the help you want. They will be harder on you. And they won't even know they're doing it. You see, because they're actually serving Satan in the spiritual realm. And they're going to be drawn towards positions of tyranny. I had a dream the other night about that. And I, I see that that's what happens is that your bureaucracy is sucking the demonic nature of mankind into its ranks, preparing you for a holocaust like you've never imagined. And you need to start choosing sides by choosing righteousness in what you do. And then you'll be sucked in to the other camp because there's a division coming between righteousness and unrighteousness. And most are choosing the unrighteous mammon. You have to be friends with that system and go into that system and find those people that are being overlooked and abused in that system that really should be helped out because they have always spent their life helping out others. I have someone in mind right now that I would like to help more because all his life he has helped others. All his life he could have been on disability and he never went on disability. He always carried his own weight, but now he can't. He needs help. And we should be helping him. 
And we are. Me and a few others. But the rest of you are sitting back and saying, Oh, we want our rights back. Oh, we want our freedom back. Oh, we want to believe that we're Christians. Why don't you you help out? I'd like to hear a little bit more noise back there. I'd like to hear a little bit more people actually doing what Christ said. Because you're all a part of the criminal complex if you're not a part of righteousness. Because that's your choice. It's not enough to say, ah, I don't want to pay Caesar. I want to starve the beast. What do you want to do in service to Christ? And of course, Christ doesn't need your help. But he said, feed my sheep. So what do you want to do in service to his sheep? You don't even know where they're at. They're out there lost in the wilderness. Help us find them. Help us get on more radio shows. Help us get into more media. Help us get on some of the shows that are already on as guests. To tell people what Romans 13 really says. Help them understand what it really meant to be a Jew in the days of Israel. A citizen of Judea who said, We have no king but Christ. We have no king but Christ. There is another king, one Jesus Christ. And they had a right to do that because Christ was king. And everybody who got the baptism of Christ looked to their benefits to the system that Christ created, which we call the church, but is not the church you have on your corner, but it's the church that actually is health, educational welfare for the people. This means homeschooling, home health, home businesses. Independent. And dependence upon one another, but only through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you are using a government-controlled communication medium like the Internet to educate others while the system still exists, then this is practical, he says. But if you really believe that you are going to exploit that same network as an offensive tool to destroy Big Brother, you are living in techno-geek dreamland. And if you still think that the diseased political arena has any merit whatsoever and that the system can be inculcated from the within or that you can rewrite the rules on a whim, constitutional conventions, etc., he puts in parentheses, and have those rules followed at this point, I don't hold much hope for you. You're under that strong delusion he talks about. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment that the government does not exist. The Internet does not exist. Corporate banking chains and department stores and grocery outlets do not exist. State law enforcement organizations do not exist. State-run schools do not exist. How would you go about living day by day without the bureaucracy, the welfare, the infrastructure, the safety nets? This is how all liberty movements, activists are going to have to start thinking if they want to change anything. And this, of course, is what we're saying, is not to depend on those things. You know, out here in this community, their nearest police department is 75 miles away. We don't dial 911 a lot of times. They they complain about it. <laughs> we dial our neighbor. If there's a 
if there's an accident, we actually call up the EMT. We don't dial 911. We call up the EMT. And there's a, or we call up our neighbor. And our neighbor comes. Because our neighbor's, you know, short distance away and the, and somebody else is, you know, I called the cops once on, on a neighbor. Actually wasn't on the neighbor. There were people in the neighbor's house that shouldn't be there. And, and the neighbor was gone out of town and I knew it. And so I, I called up the police and they didn't have anybody to send and the police is 75 miles away. So they, they said I should call up the state troopers and see if they had anybody nearby. So I called them up. They're 120 miles away. <laughs> and they didn't have anybody in <laughs> And I said, well, I'm not really calling up for help. I'm just calling up to let you know that I'm going over to get rid of those guys. <laughs> and they said, okay, well, call us back when you're done. <laughs> and so I went over and threw them out. That there was a teenage girl there, and these guys were in 20s and 21, and uh, they were over there, and they had no business. I'd already chased them off once during the day, and they were back at midnight and in that house. So I went over to the house, and we rented the house out for my brother. And I went over to the house and just came right in and got them, two of them there, and I chucked them out. And they left the house and got in the car and drove away in their underwear. I always thought that was interesting. They, I asked them after I threw out the second one, is there anything that they want in the house? Because I knew they were in their underwear. <laughs> and they said no. And I thought, like, well, you didn't come in your underwear. Where's your pants? <laughs> and I never did see their pants. I should have asked for them and, and everything. But I read the riot act to the individual. I don't know if they ever got their pants back, but they were out of there. And then I called the police back and told them what we had done. <laughs> because eventually my brother-in-law came over and my son was sitting out in the yard with a, in the dark by a tree with a shotgun just in case things got out of hand. But I was able to do the whole thing without using any armed confrontation, although I did have a flashlight with me. But they left. And... I always remember one of them turned to me at the last when he was in the car about ready to back out and he said, why don't you get a life? <laughs> he said to me, I, I leaned over and stuck my face into his and said, I have a life and you're in it. <laughs> so anyway, they left. But we don't always call 911 out here if, because we just call our neighbors and it doesn't always work. And we're actually, this community is falling more and more away from that. Cell phones are a part of that. And it's really hard to be a loving neighbor when most people are arrogant, self-righteous, backbiting individuals. And that's what society has created. Now, I believe the righteousness is still in us. It's down in, It's just dormant because we don't exercise it. It's become like a rudimentary muscle that is just not doing its job. <laughs> and... Just like the guy on welfare playing his weed and getting a check every month while he lives with his girlfriend who is also on welfare. And they're living at somebody else's house half the time because they can't afford to pay rent because they squander their welfare money. And people let them get away with it. They need to fast from, you know, and somebody needs to help them fast. <laughs> you need to fast from your dependence. And start trying to be self-reliant. 
independent. And not independence, but independent. But not forget to come together to help others do the same. And you have to start going in and telling your pastors that you lied to me. (laughs) That you're not telling me the truth. This is the truth. And if you don't know what it all is, go to our website and start studying the truth and find out how they misled you and dragged you away from the ways of Christ into the ways of Babylon. So anyway, this individual talks. The non-participation principle is best summarized like this, he says. When facing a corrupt system, provide for yourself and your community those necessities that the system cannot or will not provide. Become independent from established controlled paradigms. If you and your community do this, the system will have one or two choices. Admit that you do not need them anymore and fade into a fog of history, or reveal its tyrannical nature in full and attempt to force you back into dependence. And actually, that's actually a road that they're already following. You have to have, you have to apply for their welfare number, their social security number, in order to get ID. And if you don't get that ID, you can't get on their planes. And even states that provide ID that don't comply with the new rules, like Montana, and I I think there's like 14, 15, maybe more other states, maybe 20 some other states, that they've been informed that they're not going to accept Montana state ID driver's licenses to get on planes that are regulated by the federal government. Now, that may have a backlash when they actually try to enforce that. Depends on the character of the people in Montana. But... That's the kind of thing that you're going to, they're trying to force you to apply for benefits and waive your right to your labor and obtain a social security number, which is, of course, the mark of the beast. Now, oh, I, I'm sure there are people out there hearing this and say, oh, oh, that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is a chip. No, the mark of the beast is a badge of servitude. And that's your badge of servitude. That's what a mark means. And you have it because you lack faith or lack knowledge or both. And you have it so that you can obtain benefits. And it's their mark. It's the, you know, all governments are related to the idea of beasts. All the governments that exercise authority. I mean, like Christ preached a government that did not exercise authority one over the other. It had leaders in it. It had bureaucrats or ministers or clergy or clerks that help take care of the needy of society and the needs of society in health, education, and welfare without exercising authority. But that was a government. The church is still defined as one form of government. And that form does not exercise authority one over the other. It operates by love and the perfect law of liberty. But it's a government. It doesn't rule over. You can leave it and come and go and it doesn't put you in debt. It doesn't make you a surety for debt. It depends completely on free will offerings, just like ancient Israel, because the church is the equivalent of ancient Israel, as as Gibbon says, a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, and the true church is a viable republic in the heart of the U.S. Empire, or the U.N. Empire, or the New World Order, or whatever you want to call it. 
And we tell you, you have to pay your tally of bricks if you signed up and have an agreement to pay your tally of bricks in order to obtain benefits. But we're telling you, start weaning yourself off the benefits. Start homeschooling, home health, home education. Start taking care of the needy. Make that church service where you all go down and let's buy apartment complex. And those people who are the deserving poor and need daily care, let's put them in that apartment complex. And then that apartment complex will will belong to the church for the care of the people of the church and for the needy of the church. And you pay what you can pay. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there taking care of the elderly. But they are dependent upon the payments of the federal government and the state governments to finance their operations. We can't do that. And we don't need to do that. We could do this. I tell you, this is what the early church did. Early Christians did not participate in universal health care that came about under emperors, I believe, like Nerva didn't last very long. Now, they always had some kind of health care in Rome. Originally, it was based on free will offerings uh, through their temples. And eventually, it became compelled offerings. They actually used sales tax and things like that to provide, like unemployment tax. I mean, you were taxed on the number of slaves that you had because occasionally the slaves, when they were discharged, fell on the, uh, the care of the state. So the state started taxing people to do that. But you should be doing all that caring for one another yourself. And until you wean yourself off of the state and into righteousness, you will not be free. And this is what this guy is telling you. This is what Christ told you. And this is what we will show you how to do when you join the Living Network. Until then, I hope peace will be upon your house. And I hope that God will be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake. Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.